verses uh, 3 through 14, the verses that we read together this morning, we're going to be looking at portions of this long passage here over the next uh, few weeks anyway. It's here in these verses 3 through 14 that Paul begins to enumerate the blessings that are ours in Christ. And so it's here that the apostle tells us of the work of the triune God in saving us. And and here in this passage, we see that God the Father is the originator and the initiator of this plan. So Paul begins with this uh, burst of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, And then he goes on. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And all of the things that he talks about here Uh, even though he refers to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, they're they're all rooted in the will of the Father. And so he's the originator and the initiator of the plan. Uh, We read here that he chose us, predestined us, forgave us, revealed his will to us, lavished his grace upon us. And Paul says that he did this all according to the good pleasure of his will, and to the praise of the glory of his grace. Then we see here that God the Son redeemed us through his blood, and God the Holy Spirit is the one who has sealed us. So so these are the things that Paul begins the epistle with. Now, the verses that we read this morning here, in the original Greek, these 12 verses constitute a single complex sentence. And this is something that the uh, the commentators are sort of, um, you know, marveling at that uh, this is like the world's longest run-on sentence. Paul just keeps going and going and going. Uh, John Stott put it this way. He said, as Paul dictates, his speech pours out of his mouth in a continuous cascade. He neither pauses for breath nor punctuates his words with periods. And then he goes on to say, commentators have searched for metaphors vivid enough to convey the impact of this opening outburst of adoration. And then he gives a a list of various commentators. Um, One referred to this portion as a magnificent gateway into the epistle. Another referred to it as a golden chain. Another, a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colors. Another referred to it as an operatic overture. And Stott goes on to say, all these metaphors in their different ways describe the impression of color, movement, and grandeur, which the sentence makes on the mind of the reader. So there's so much in here, and we could never do it justice by just, you know, quickly passing over it. So we need to take some time and really dissect it and look at it. And what we want to do today is look at just a couple of verses. We want to look at verses three through five, where again, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then he begins to enumerate those blessings just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So Paul starts off with blessing God for his 
blessing us with every spiritual blessing. And this reminds us right up front, something that we cannot forget, that our God is a blessing God. And this is something that we've been talking about recently. It's something that we've been being reminded of because so often we, we have the wrong picture of God. Uh, one writer said this. He said, this insight into the heart of God is radically uncommon. How could that be? But it's true. It's uncommon uh, to think of God in terms, first and foremost, of, of a God of blessing. But the fact of the matter, that's what he is. That's who he is. Uh, this person went on to say, if you study the various world religions and supernatural belief systems, you'll be hard-pressed to find any concept of God as someone who delights in blessing people. And it's so true. When you survey the, the various religions of the world, when you survey the various uh, belief systems, you, you don't have a picture of a blessing God. You have a, a picture of a God who needs to be constantly appeased or manipulated in some way. And, and this picture of God being a blessing God uh, is absent in these other systems, but yet it is the predominant theme in the Bible. And yet, ironically, we oftentimes miss it. But yet, if you think about it, this is exactly what we see all around us. I mean, think about it for a minute. When we look around us, we see that God is a blessing God. God even blesses with material abundance and spiritual well-being those who regularly blaspheme him. You know, the fact of the matter is this. If God were the kind of God that's portrayed in the, the various religions of the world, the world would look much different than it does. But because God is the God of the Bible and, and he's primarily a blessing God, we see that his blessing is even upon those who reject him. And this, of course, is what Jesus said. He said, your father in heaven makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Our God is a blessing God. God is a blessing God, but his blessings are directed specifically and primarily, and the most important blessings are directed toward us, his children, those who are in Christ, and they are spiritual blessings. You see, contrary to what people often think, spiritual blessings are far superior than material blessings. But yet so many people think that, oh, the material blessing is the, is the most important thing. No, the reality is spiritual blessings are far more important because you could be blessed materially and still live in poverty spiritually and emotionally. And we see this all the time. Uh, we see around us people who are extremely rich in material blessings, but yet we see that they are amazingly poor when it comes to spiritual blessings. 
They have none of the the blessings that come through the Spirit. They don't have joy in their lives. They don't have peace. They don't have contentment. They don't have hope. They they have no consistency in love. And we, we see this all around us. But God, although he does bless us materially, he blesses us primarily spiritually. He has lavished upon us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So everything that we could possibly need to succeed as his people and to prosper in our spirits, which is the most important place, uh, God has provided that for us. You know, I read a quote this week from Russell Brand. Uh, Russell Brand is a British comedian and actor. And... um, He's had a lot of issues with drugs and alcohol recently. He's been in rehab. And he said an interesting thing. He said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution. So here's a guy, here's a case in point. Here's a guy who is, uh, he's blessed materially. He's wealthy, he's successful. But he's spiritually impoverished. He has no joy. He has no peace. He has no contentment. He he can't face reality. Drugs and alcohol are are his solution to just dealing with the the everyday issues of uh, life as a wealthy, successful celebrity. But you see what Russell needs and what everybody else needs is primarily a spiritual blessing. And that's what we have received from God, our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, every spiritual blessing. The joy, the peace, the contentment, the hope, the love, those things are all there. But those things come as a result of these more foundational blessings that Paul begins to enumerate for us. So we want to look uh, here today, we want to look at two of the blessings. Paul begins with these first two, and they are chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, and then in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So two things. Number one, chosen. Paul puts this at the top of the list. We have been chosen. Think about this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, this is what you need to know. You are a believer because God chose you in Christ to be a believer, and he chose you before he ever created the universe. That is mind-boggling. But it should bring us the most... uh, amazing comfort imaginable because, you know, nothing we can do could ever take God by surprise. He knew us before he ever created us, and he chose us to be in Christ before the universe was ever brought into existence. Before Genesis 1-1 began, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we were already there in the heart and in the mind of God. In Christ, Jesus, the Bible says, was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All of this was known in the heart and in the mind of God before he ever brought it into existence. And you today who are believers 
as a believer today, I am in this place where I'm chosen by God. We've been chosen by God. So you see, that's something of of tremendous comfort, really. He chose you. You weren't forced upon him. It wasn't out of reluctance that he had to accept you because you came knocking and he couldn't turn you away, even though he would have maybe preferred to. It's nothing like that at all. No, God chose you from before the foundation of the world. This is what theologians refer to as the doctrine of election. God has elected us. He's chosen us to be his people. May that bring you great comfort today. God chose you. He, he handpicked you. I want you. Now, I want, I want this one right here. This one is, this one is mine. And he chose us for something. He chose us to be holy and without blame before him. That's amazing as well, because we are anything but holy and blameless, naturally, right? We are unholy. We're all sinners. And there's plenty of things that we could be blamed for. We are far from blameless, but God has chosen us to be holy and without blame, And then in love, he has predestined us to adoption as sons. So these words, chosen and predestined, they're similar, but there's a little bit of a distinction. To predestined means to determine in advance. So God has chosen us to be holy and blameless before him. He's determined in advance that we would receive the adoption as sons. And what this means here is that he's determined in advance that we are going to, um, we are going to be brought into all that He fully intends for us. We are going to receive the full inheritance in Christ that He intends. He's determined that. He's determined it in advance. Now, some people are sort of frightened by the terms uh, election and predestination. And I can understand that because there have been some um, misinterpretations of what these things are, are talking about. I remember years ago being in Eastern Europe and having an invitation to speak at a church. And I, I didn't know anything about the theological background of the church. Um, I found out later that it was a Pentecostal church and it was strongly Arminian in their theological position And uh, so for them, predestination was a bad word. I didn't know that. So I got up to preach and I actually opened up to this passage here and I preached from it. And I was, you know, speaking through, um, uh, somebody was interpreting for me, but I I was noticing that the pastor in the front row was not happy with what I was saying. And I thought I was giving a rather great message myself. So uh, afterwards, I discovered that he was upset that I was speaking on predestination. And I said, well, look, I, I was preaching from the Bible. And for, but for him, no, you can't. Uh, predestination is not a biblical idea. Well, if it's not a biblical idea, why is it here in the text? But you see, he had a misunderstanding of predestination. He had the wrong idea. And it's an idea that a lot of people get because there's a particular theology that promotes a false idea about predestination And it's important that we understand that because it has been used uh, by 
God's opponents to, to paint him in a very negative light. So when we're talking about being chosen or being elected and being predestined, here's the first thing that we need to remember. We need to remember that these terms are only used in reference to the saved. These terms are only used in reference to the saved. Those who are chosen, those who are predestined, the Bible only uses these terms to apply to those who are believers in Christ. We've been, we are the elect of God. We're the chosen of God. Uh, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son and so forth. So they're only used in reference to the saved. The idea that God predestined some people to hell is not found in the Bible, although there is a theological system that teaches that. And that's where the problem comes in. And that's why some people are very bothered by even the mentioning of predestination because they can only think of it in the terms of this theological system and they don't like what it says. And quite frankly, I agree with them. I don't like what that theological system concludes either. The idea that God somehow created people for the sole purpose of condemning them to hell is not a biblical idea. It's a, it's a wrong interpretation of scripture. So we need to understand that up front. Now, that brings us to another question then. On what basis did God choose those that he chose? Because clearly the implication is God chose some and didn't choose others. So on, on what basis did he choose us? And this is where it, it becomes a little bit difficult because there's not really any place in scripture where God ever specifically tells us that the answer to that question. We know that he chose on the basis of his foreknowledge, whom he foreknew, he did also predestine. But we're not quite sure. He never, he never explained just exactly what the, the foreknowledge was in reference to. So when it comes to the question, on what basis did God choose those he chose, the best answer we could possibly give is the answer that Paul gives to us right here in the text. He did this according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, at the end of the day, it's not really my job to try to figure out why God did things the way he did it. You know what? At the end of the day, my position is just to be thankful for it. I am so thankful. I, I can't, you know, I have spent hours and hours as a Christian and as a Bible teacher trying to figure this stuff out. And you know what? I've concluded that you can't figure it out. The best thing to do is just to take it, you know, as much as you can get your head around it and just to say, okay, Lord, you, you did it according to the good pleasure of your will. I accept that and I'm thankful for it. And I'm so glad that you chose me before the foundation of the world uh, to be holy and without blame before you. So, on what basis did God choose those he chose? He did so according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, here's another question, and this one is a pressing one for many. Why did God only choose some and not all? And then a follow-up question. Does God not want everyone to be saved? Now, there are some people that actually teach that God doesn't want everyone to be saved. There are some people that teach that God only chose some and not all because he didn't really want to save everyone. 
Now, again, this is rooted in a theological system. And remember, every systematic theology is to some extent imposing things upon the scripture that are are not necessarily there. Um, So the best thing to do is to, to always fall back on the word of God. So in answer to the question, does God not want everyone to be saved? Let's let God answer for himself. In 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, this is what Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit. Paul is speaking for God. He said, God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's a very clear statement. God desires everyone to be saved. Peter said something similar in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this is the thing that we know for sure from these verses. That people are lost, not because God created certain people to be lost. People go to hell, not because God created certain people with the with the intention of sending them to hell, not allowing them to be saved, to somehow glorify himself, as some would say. That's contradictory to the scripture. This is what we know. At the end of the day, men and women are lost because of their own choices. We can never put uh, the burden of a lost soul upon God to say that, that a person is not saved because God did not choose them to be saved would put the responsibility for their lostness on God ultimately. It would, regardless of how you try to twist it, that's what you end up with. And the Bible does not allow for that at all. People are lost because of their own choices, not because God chose them to be lost They are lost not because they couldn't have been saved, but because they wouldn't be saved. It's so important to understand that. Because if you see it a different way, it really, in my opinion, it really paints God in a a very... uh, well, a bad light in many ways, and, and it becomes very difficult to understand God as a God of love if we're going to promote the idea that he created certain people to eternally punish them. But again, this isn't, this isn't what we find as we look at the scriptures in their totality. You can pull scriptures out of context and then mix them with your theological position, and you can draw that conclusion but that's not the proper way to interpret the scripture. You've got to look at all of what the scripture says, regardless of whether it fits your theological system or not. If it doesn't fit your theological system, don't try to force it in. Change your theological system. That's the solution. Don't change the Bible. Change your theological position. So, now, chosen and predestined. So these are not negative things. These are tremendously wonderful things. These are comforting things. We have been chosen and predestined. And notice what it is we've been chosen and predestined to. 
We have been chosen to be holy and without blame before him. We've been predestined to adoption as sons, meaning predestined to receive the full inheritance the Father has laid up for us. Now, here's the thing that we need to realize. What God has chosen and predestined you for will most certainly come to pass. You see, what these verses do is they refute the idea that somehow those of us who have been chosen by God are going to end up lost in the end, or possibly so. No. You see, God chose you to this thing. God chose you to be holy and blameless before him through Christ. If you were not going to get there, you never would have been chosen. Those who aren't chosen are the ones who wouldn't get there. But you see, those that he did choose, he chose them to this. The Bible wants us to know that what God has begun, he's going to finish. What he started, he's going to complete. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to, you know, halfway through the project decide it's not worth it. It's too much work. Forget it. He's not going to do that. He chose you from before the foundation of the world to this, to be holy and without blame before him. And guess what? You're going to get there because he chose you to be there. I'm going to get there. We're going to make it. That's the great word of encouragement that we have here. And then we read that he predestined us. So as I said, predestined is to plan in advance. You think there's something God could predestine that's not going to happen? No. If it's not going to happen, then God doesn't predestine it to happen. If it could be alterable, if it could possibly not be realized, then we would never read that God predestined it to be so. You see, again, those who are not chosen, those who are not predestined, are so because of choices that they've made, but that's not who we are. Those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have trusted in him because we were chosen to do so by God. And so I can lie down at night and I can put my head on my pillow in peace and know, as the old prayer said, if I should die before I wake, I can have confidence that my soul the Lord will take. Because that's what he chose me for. He chose me to stand before him, not in my sin, not in my failure, but to stand before him holy and blameless, to stand before him in his righteousness alone. We sang that this morning. In Christ alone, the cornerstone. We stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. And that puts us there before him as holy and blameless. What do we do with this information? Well, it's what Paul does all the way through the passage here. We praise God for his glorious grace. And when you leave here today, and as you go throughout the week to come, I pray that all of us would just have our minds boggled a little bit as we would ponder these truths, as, as we would think about the amazing grace of God that we who are 
sinners. And we who could be blamed for many things are going to stand before him holy and without blame. He chose us to that. He predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. God is going to get you to where he intends you to be. And we can rest in that. We can have confidence in that. And all of this is ours. Notice, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This, these are the blessings that belong to those who are in Christ. And today, you are either in one of two places. There's only, there's only two possibilities. You're either in Christ and a recipient of the blessings and guaranteed to stand holy and blameless before him, or you're outside of Christ, and outside of Christ means that you're in sin and you are guilty before him and would be separated from him ultimately. But the good news is that doesn't have to be the case. You see, today, God wants to bring you to himself. He wants to extend uh, his invitation to you. He's chosen to receive you to himself in Christ. And all you have to do is reciprocate by um, allowing him to choose you. You know, it is possible to choose not to be chosen. You know, we can think of all kinds of illustrations where, you know, you might do that. Somebody might say, well, hey, I want you to be part of this. And you can say, oh, no, no, thanks. I don't want to be part of that. And you know, that's what God has done. Jesus said an interesting thing. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. The many is everybody. God's calling everybody. Everybody come. But you know, unfortunately, there's a lot in the everybody that's saying, no, no, no thanks. I don't want to come. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't want anybody to rule over my life. I don't want anybody to tell me that I can't live a certain way. That's what people are saying. And that's why they're not chosen because they're choosing not to be. May that not be the case with any of us. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ. And Lord, that we are the recipients of your amazing grace and love. And Lord, would you help us in the days ahead to just really get our minds around this glorious grace of yours that has chosen us to be holy and without blame, that has predestined us. And Lord, I would pray this morning for any here that are not in Christ today or, or they're not sure that they're in Christ. And Lord, we know that it's only a, a prayer away. It's only a, a request away. As many as received Jesus, to them, he gives the power to become God's children. 